Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious I'm about. Curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships can evolve with people evolve as they grow and change? So when you go through a sexual encounter and you do not touch the clitoris... Cis men can imagine a sexual encounter in which their penis is not touched. Yes. And, yes. you know, only their only their testicles are touched. Only their prostate is touched. But their penis is not touched. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we're talking about orgasm equality. At a time when equality is top of mind in our communities, jobs, and social constructs, we should also consider what equality looks like within our sexual experiences. Let's start with looking at some of the data to really understand what the lay of the land is when it comes to sex and pleasure. In a 2017 study on differences in orgasm frequency among gay, lesbian, bisexual, and heterosexual men and women in the U.S., where researchers analyzed over 52,000 people, they found that a whooping 95% of heterosexual men were most likely to say they always usually orgasmed when sexually intimate. Gay and bi men were close, with 89% and 88% respectively of them saying they usually always orgasm during sex. These results are somewhat unsurprising. We'd maybe imagine gay and bi men to be at the top of the list, but overall, these findings align with what we experience socially. The number starts to get interesting when you look at lesbian, bi and straight women with lesbian women reporting about the same as gay and bi men with 86% of them saying they usually always reach an orgasm during sex. And then there's a massive drop to 66 and 65% for bisexual and straight women respectively saying they usually always orgasm when having sex, indicating a massive pleasure gap when men get involved with women's pleasure. So basically, we have straight men at the top of the list with 95%, followed by the gays and lesbians and bi men who are in the high 80s. And then the numbers plummet with bi and straight women in the mid 60s. To jump headfirst into this gap, we reached out to the creator of the popular Instagram feed, Orgasm Equality. I'm Grace Wetzel. I'm a social psychology PhD student at Rutgers University, researching how our gendered experiences shape our sexual lives. Grace studies the impact of gender on sexuality from a feminist psychological perspective. Her TEDx talk on the sexual pleasure disparity has garnered over 6 million views, and her research connects the dots between the work of several social scientists and researchers who are looking into gender, sexual orientation, sex, and pleasure. Before we dig into the research with Grace, we have a few disclaimers. As with most research out there, the results are based on experience of self-reporting, cis, straight, monogamous, college-aged, often white individuals. And because researchers often look for the quantifiable and the binary, in our conversation, we're going to use terms like men and women, as that's the language that's used in the research. However, the information about arousal can apply to vulva and penis owners, regardless of their gender. 
We're also going to focus our conversation on orgasms because, again, orgasms are quantifiable in a way that overall pleasure is not. However, not everyone can, wants to, or needs to orgasm. And orgasms are not a sign of or necessary for pleasure. So while we're talking about the quote-unquote orgasm gap, this is really about how people have different experiences with desire and pleasure based on their gender socialization. As with most research, the population in the studies do not reflect the diversity and complexity of the real world. That said, there are some universal experiences and opportunities that apply across demographics. If you're interested in looking into the research that was referenced within today's discussion, you can see the citations in the episode show notes. Or for those who subscribe to our newsletter in the new episode drop email in your inbox. And if you'd like to check out some research on relationships and sexuality that includes and even focuses on participants who are queer, poly, cis, and trans of different ages from different countries and cultures, listen to episode 122, Relationship Satisfaction, Non-Monogamy, and Science with Dr. Justin Bogilski. We started our conversation with Grace by asking about how our gendered experience shapes our sexual experience. When we talk about gender roles in society, I don't think we always have a full grasp of just how deeply these gender roles shape everything about who we come to be. And of course, that includes sex and sexuality. And so there are traditional sexual gender roles as well. From a cisgender heterosexual perspective, men are active and women are passive receivers of sex in these traditional roles. And research has found that when women adopt a passive sexual role, where they're the receivers of sexual action with no real autonomy of their own, adoption of this role can lead to less pleasure and orgasm for women. Mm -hmm. And we can see this active versus passive distinction in the way that we even just talk about sex. So men are often the actors of the sentence and women are the literal objects of the sentence. So when you think of Phrases like, did you hit that, right? Or did you hit it? Women are literally the object of the sentence. And then in the same vein, women often take on a performance role during sex where they're actually putting on a performance of their pleasure for the pleasure of their partner rather than actually experiencing that pleasure authentically themselves. Wow. Th those all ring true, right? I feel like those all ring very, very true. And I don't think I had thought about that before, that women are the that and the it mm -hmm. in those sentences. Yeah. So related to that, you can't separate women's sexual experience from women's objectification in society, which often leads to women self-objectifying, right? Or viewing themselves as an object from that outsider perspective. And then women also deal with a long history of sexual shame. They often have to overcome that sexual shame in order to experience their sexuality authentically, as well as slut shaming and sexual victimization and all of those things that, that women deal with. And then men also have to deal with gendered expectations of masculinity that put a ton of pressure on men to perform in specifically gendered ways including putting a lot of pressure on the penis in particular to give pleasure when actually clitoral stimulation is more important for orgasm for people with vulvas. So there's this expectation to perform these gender roles in the bedroom. And research has actually found that that, that pressure to perform leads to 
less pleasure and satisfaction for everyone involved because it keeps people from being able to express their sexuality authentically. Did you get anywhere around why this dynamic is installed into our society? The the gender roles that, that yeah. I'm talking about. Even though no one's having fun. Like what I heard you just say is like, no one's right. having fun, exactly. everyone. <laughs> Everyone's playing their role. <laughs> and mm-hmm. No one's having fun. No one's having pleasure. Do we have an idea to why we've done this to ourselves? I mean, that's such a hard question to answer. I mean, we can take it really broad. Like we can go to patriarchy and kind mm-hmm. of as far as how, how and why these roles have been established. But... I think that also connects to just like how patriarchy hurts everyone. Like Mm -hmm. we think of patriarchy as hurting only some groups of people, but these roles, they're limiting everybody involved, right? Like no one's having fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everyone's limited. And yeah, I love talking about how patriarchy hurts men too. And I feel like this is one example of that. Mm -hmm. When I was listening to your TED Talk, something that came up for me was my own experience with uh, heterosexual sex. And in particular, in my 20s, this idea of having to like suck in my stomach, hide the Mm -hmm. folds, arch Mm -hmm. my back, like position myself just right and spending Mm -hmm. so much time thinking about my positioning, thinking about the sounds that I was making, like thinking about trying to be like the living, breathing porn movie or magazine that he had seen, that it was about... It was really focused on his pleasure, whether or not I I did a good job at the end of it. And reflecting back, I feel sad for young me, which I, I couldn't mm-hmm. and should have done it differently. But it speaks a lot to what you're talking about in terms of the, the factors that shape our spe- our sexual experience are these perceptions of this role that we're supposed to be playing. And then that just gets so caught up in our heads. You're hitting exactly right what, what I'm trying to say, which is that, that performance element. Like so many women have had that experience of, of performing their pleasure. What sounds am I going to make? What facial expressions am I going to make in order to, to enact that fantasy for their partner? And that's kind of distracting from their authentic experience. Yeah. Something else that you mentioned too, was that women ask for less oral sex than men do generally. Mm-hmm. And you know, yes. you reference it that has to do with naming that we have desire, not believing that we should have desire, all of those things. And again, it really had me reflecting, particularly in my experience in my 20s and saying, yes, younger me, why didn't I ask? And I did, we didn't right. have the language, we didn't practice it, it didn't feel like it was comfortable. And so there's just so many experiences that you're, that you're what you're quoting in the research that it has brought up for me. Totally. Also, I'm asking for what you want, but also instructing that's the other thing that we talk Mm. about a lot you know it's Mm -hmm. like the thing that is happening to you might not be optimal but we don't feel like we have we 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 can take up the space or we have the right or we're worthy of saying hey like this isn't actually working like i can see you're trying to pleasure me and it's not quite working for me can i just show you what would work and it feels like that just being able to say that is a huge deal and the world is going to yes. come crushing down mm-hmm. if you were to make any adjustments to what's happening at that time. Yeah, sexual communication is so so key and it's and it's more difficult than than we think it's going to be I think because of there's this entitlement gap that you're touching on that mm-hmm. women tend to feel less entitled uh, than men mm-hmm. to to that pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the other major factors that shape our sexual experience? Yeah, I think one that I would also want to touch on is uh, sexual scripts. 
So there are sexual scripts for heterosexual sex that tell us, you know, what to expect when we get into a sexual encounter. And the dominant script for heterosexual sex is basically the following. So you start with foreplay, which is usually pretty brief, and it's designed Mm -hmm. to get the woman, quote unquote, ready for intercourse. And that usually includes the sex acts that would be most likely to result in her orgasm. Then you have intercourse, which is considered the main and most important sex act. Mm -hmm. Then the man has an orgasm from intercourse. And then that signals the end of sex. So now sex is over. So there's very little room for women's orgasm within this dominant script. Since only 5% of women report vaginal penetration alone as their most reliable route to orgasm, There's so little room for orgasm in this script, right? Women would need to either orgasm quickly during foreplay, or they would need to incorporate clitoral stimulation into intercourse, which many women do. But as you can see, like if this is how heterosexual sex goes, there's no wonder that there's an orgasm gap, right? This this script is not designed for women's orgasm in any way. So we shouldn't be surprised that women are experiencing less pleasure and less orgasm. Mm. And you started a whole Instagram page about that, about the orgasm gap and yes. and sort of seeking orgasm equality, which I support 100%. Yes, I know yes. we all support. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what, what is the orgasm gap? What, what do we mean when we say the orgasm gap? Yes, absolutely. So the orgasm gap is the name for the well-established finding that cisgender men have substantially more orgasms than cisgender women on average during partnered sex. And so depending which study you're looking at, uh, men are typically having orgasms around 90% of the time, while women are having orgasms around 65% of the time. But the size of that gap can vary greatly depending on other aspects of the sexual context. So for example, during relationship sex that includes oral sex and clitoral stimulation included during intercourse, the orgasm gap can essentially close Mm. and then it can be greatly exacerbated in other contexts, like a first time hookup. And then Mm. something else I want to specify is that any kind of couple can have an orgasm gap in any direction. But when we talk about the orgasm gap as a social phenomenon, we're specifically talking about cisgender women who are having sex with cisgender men. Mm -hmm. Are we just counting the orgasms or are we counting the orgasms from penetrative sex? Like, how are we counting the orgasm? We're counting all orgasms because very few women are reliably experiencing orgasm from penetrative sex. Okay. Okay. Can you talk more about, you mentioned kind of the distinction between hookup sex versus I imagine relationship sex. Can you talk more about that? What is the distinction between those? Why is there a difference between those? Yeah. So I think both men and women uh, experience orgasm less frequently in a first time sexual encounter, but the gap is much, much larger for women. So there is an aspect of, you know, the more comfortable you get with a person, the more you learn a person's body, right? The, The more you're going to be able to pleasure each other. So the more comfortable you get, the more familiar you get, the more orgasms you'll experience. But that gap is so exacerbated for women. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. One being there's been research that has shown a kind of disregard for women's pleasure during casual sex. 
So something that it's something that's not as expected and women often don't feel like their partners are prioritizing it. And even men themselves report that they're not prioritizing their partner's orgasm in that kind of situation. Wow. Which is fascinating because for the perspective of a woman, if the intention is a hookup and you're thinking, Mm -hmm. well, this won't lead to lead to a relationship, then why in those moments would I be shy about what I want? Who cares if I ask for what I want and he's offended or, you know, like, what do I have to lose essentially? And so it's so interesting that in those cases that, that the gap is even larger, certainly because Mm -hmm. it sounds like the males are, you know, men are prioritizing their own, but that women are deprioritizing themselves more Mm -hmm. in those situations, which is fascinating. That's exactly. I was just like, what is it in for the women? Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're going for a hookup and you're not going to get pleasure from it, you're not going to get a a sustaining relationship from it. Probably going to end up feeling shitty. Like, why are we even, why are we even bothering with a hookup? Like what is in it for us? Yeah. Yeah. And there is a lot of research looking into that exact question. Like why, why are women even engaging in this if they're not really getting theoretically anything from it? But people do have other motivations for sex. So there, there are other reasons to engage. There's also research that when we expect orgasm less, we're less likely to pursue it. So I think in a mm. sense, women have come to expect that that's not a context in which orgasm will be experienced. And so mm. they're actually pursuing it less. And then I think another factor is feeling comfortable with sexual communication mm-hmm. and and the entitlement gap that I talked about before, like not feeling entitled to pursuing pleasure in a hookup, even though it seems counterintuitive, there's there's an element of not feeling entitled to pursue that. Yeah. I wonder too if part of it has to do with our socialization as women around being polite. I know mm-hmm. that there's some research that's been done around the fact that uh, that women have been put in situations for either sexual assault or kidnapping that potentially could have been avoided had they shouted, yelled, said stop, said no earlier. But what was stopping them was they did not want to be perceived as being rude or being mean or not being mm-hmm. polite. And so I wonder if that translates into that experience of like, this is a first time person. They don't know me very well. I don't want them mm-hmm. to think that I'm rude. Like, I don't want them to think, right, exactly. I don't want them to think badly of me. And so too sexual, yeah. like there's these yes. expectations of women as too sexual. They can't, right. a woman who advocates for what she needs, who advocates her for her own pleasure is probably seen as a slut, as mm-hmm. too sexual, too dominant, And so everything we're saying relates to those gender roles I was talking about before. Like they're so deeply ingrained in ways that we don't notice until we actually sit down and start to unpack it. Yeah. So you talked about what the orgasm gap is. Can you talk more about what orgasm equality looks like? Absolutely. So to me, orgasm equality is a movement that is about advocating for pleasure and orgasm to be equally valued and prioritized between all intimate partners. So this does not mean orgasm has to be the end all be all. It does not have to be the goal of every sexual encounter or even that it should be. It just means that pleasure needs to be equally valued and prioritized between everyone. And right now it's, it's not women often come to expect less and then be satisfied with less in their intimate relationships. And I'm hoping to change that. I 
want to create a reality where women's orgasm is just as much the expected result of sex as men's orgasm is. I do find that that also just reflective of life in general. I think women do expect less and they can do, they can make do with less in many areas of life. And I think this is just the orgasm gap is just another, you know, another bullet on that list. Mm -hmm. And in ways it's, it's very adaptive that, that women are able to adjust their expectations so that they can retain their satisfaction. But in my opinion, they shouldn't have to. And so if we create a cultural shift, then maybe they won't have to, and they'll be able to, to experience greater pleasure. You've talked about the societal structures and norms that have been built into that advance this orgasm gap and, and have people play these roles. Can you talk about what are the biological essentialist beliefs that are mm-hmm. used to justify and perpetuate the orgasm gap? Yes, absolutely. I love this topic. There's a very commonly held belief that the orgasm gap is caused by biological or anatomical differences in the capacity to experience orgasm. And research shows that this is just not true at all, right? Women experience orgasm during masturbation in about the same average time frame as men, which is about four minutes. The clitoris and the penis are anatomical complementary structures. They derive from the same tissue. Women orgasm at rates similar to men's when they're having sex with other women, when they're receiving oral sex and stimulating their clitoris during intercourse with men, and when they report pursuing their orgasm very strongly. So if the orgasm gap was a biological inevitability, we would not see it disappear depending on context and in several contexts. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. And there is a biological difference in what is stimulated during penile vaginal intercourse. So for cis men, their main orgasm center, the penis, is being stimulated by intercourse. But cis women's main orgasm center, the clitoris, is not directly stimulated in the way that most women need to orgasm. So that is a biological difference, but it's actually more of a biological similarity since the penis and clitoris are homologous structures. But the Mm -hmm. reason that that's a problem is based on our cultural assumption that intercourse is the main and most important sex act. Like there are so many ways that we could organize our sexual experiences to prioritize the stimulation of both partners. Does that make sense? Completely. It just made me realize that it's because we reduce sex or probably for religious reasons to baby making Mm -hmm. and really the penetrative sex is for baby making and not Mm -hmm. for pleasure. And Mm -hmm. pleasure sex is something that you need to, it's like, it's almost like you have to have two two different types of sex. You Mm -hmm. need to have sex for baby making that needs to, involve you know hard penis and a wet wet vagina as we call on the show Mm -hmm. and a a male orgasm to make a baby but Mm -hmm. that is not sex for pleasure that's very functional sex and we need to kind of think maybe think about those things separately and think about okay we're just having pleasure and we need to explore and and and, Mm -hmm. and think of sex in a much bigger way versus we're having sex now to make a baby because that seems to me like that seems to be the two main differences Totally. And intercourse is, penile vaginal intercourse is very pleasurable for very many people, but we tend to see it as 
as the the only thing or the the main thing and there's just yeah so many other ways that we could organize our sexuality um yeah broaden it and and focus on pleasure more broadly it makes me think about when we talk about losing our virginity that it is based on mm-hmm. when did a penis yes, enter. enter a vagina? Like that mm-hmm. is really what that means. And and within kind of the, the LGBTQ community, I've heard of various answers when asking mm-hmm. about losing your virginity. And it feels much more kind of complicated and not clean because the societal definition is very mm-hmm. clean around what it should be. Yeah. And then, and when, also when you ask people to define sex, People don't, yeah, they don't know how to define what counts right. as sex. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so some people think that other kinds of sex, you know, th- they count that in their definition and other people only count penile vaginal intercourse. Mm-hmm. But yes. that, that language reflects the prioritization of intercourse as well in that we sub-label everything that isn't intercourse. So oral sex foreplay, like all of the anal sex, all of these different mm-hmm. words we've created for any other sex act rather than just sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think back to high school years of doing all of the things except and right. even like just the tip, but <laughs> except actual so that you can continue to hold on to right. the name of virgin. But you've literally you've done so many other things, uh-huh. but you get to still call yourself a virgin because you haven't done that one thing and how right. wild that is. And what would it mean if we defined a sexual debut for women as the first time they truly experience pleasure from a partner. Like Mm. what would that look like? Like how might that shift women's perspective towards sex moving forward? Mm. Also, I think it depends on the context, right? So you can have a couple that might sort of complain and said, we haven't sex in a while, meaning they haven't had penetration in a while, but they've been cuddling and, and, and kissing and touching mm. and all that kind of stuff. And, and then the, the, the rhetoric is, oh, we haven't sex in a long, we haven't had sex in a long time. But then if one of those couples were to do those things with somebody else, mm-hmm. right, then now, that it would be cheating. Cheating. now it counts. Uh, <laughs> now you're like having sex with somebody else. You're like, well, I, I mean, like, is it sex? Is it not sex? So I think yeah. it really does depend on um, context as well and how we feel about it. You know, the question that we ask all the time, does sexting count? You know, I think like mm-hmm. just you need to explore the edges and, and, and really think about what sex means and what, what we think it should mean and also what, what it means within the context of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of relating naming what is sex to pleasure mm-hmm. if it's both folks or whoever's involved experience pleasure mm-hmm. because i kind of love that moment of in my mind where i'm thinking you know heterosexual couple and someone has asked well when's the last time you had sex and you know the guy's like last week and she's like it's been a few months and he's like what <laughs> yeah. how could that be and she's like because i have not experienced any pleasure in a few months so right. you had sex maybe but i have not i have not been right. having sex with you i Absolutely. love that idea Um, and to answer the, the rest of your question about the, how the biological beliefs kind of perpetuate the orgasm gap, I think the reason that they're harmful is they, they create a sort of, it is the way it is attitude towards the orgasm gap, that, that it just can't be fixed. There's nothing that can be done about it. Right. Because if the orgasm gap is a natural quote unquote, mm-hmm. result of a biological difference, then people have the assumption that, that we can't do anything about it. So mm-hmm. you'd, you'd be surprised how many conversations I've had with people where 
just disproving those ideas alone, including the expectation that women should orgasm from vaginal penetration, just disproving those ideas alone can totally shift their perspective on sex. So I do think that disproving biological justifications can have a really big impact. I agree. I have facilitated a workshop in a country that is less sexually liberated. And um, my slide that pointed out how a penis and the the clitoris are essentially the same Mm -hmm, organ, mm -hmm. um, just organized differently, was a paradigm shift. Like it completely shifted everybody in the room and it was, it became the focus of conversation. Like there's a whole bunch of other things that we're going to talk about. We got people just locked onto that and we talked about that for an hour and a half. And it just changed everything about what they think about their body, what they think about sex, what they think about pleasure. So absolutely. I think just having those, like, which seems like such an obvious thing when you, when you introduce it to people who don't know it and once they click onto what's going on, it, it just changes everything. And another little tidbit related that I feel like really blows people's mind. I think it was Dr. Lori Mintz who said this. Women often have sexual encounters where their clitoris is literally not touched. Like it, it's not stimulated at all. And that is the anatomical equivalent of a sexual encounter in which the penis is not touched. Mm -hmm. so when you go through a sexual encounter and you do not touch the clitoris cis men can imagine a sexual encounter in which their penis is not touched and you know only their only their testicles are touched only their prostate is touched but their penis is not touched that is what that kind of sex looks like that deserves a repeat again. <laughs> I think we need to say that. And that's going to be the clip that's at the beginning. So <laughs> cis men out there, straight men, just remember that if you have sex and do not touch the clitoris, it is as if you are having sex and your penis is never touched. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Is and sit with that for a while. Just yes. <laughs> yes. That's it. And it was it was Dr. Mintz who said that first. That's she brilliant. she came up with that analogy. It's just so, it's and it's so true. Like it's it's so it's so true. And also um similarly that you know we talk about the way that we do touch the penis or like men understand that they have a penis and they have a way that they like that penis to be touched and handled. Mm-hmm. So it's not that because of a of a leap from that to be like oh clitoris and there's also yes. ways to touch the clitoris in a way that is mm-hmm. pleasurable for that person like it's not big of a leap right. we just have that information gap as right. well as an orgasm gap so that otherwise when you when you frame it in that way i can't think of a man who doesn't get it you know right because the, cl- the clitoris is not like a mystical being mm-hmm. it's not like a mystical right. creature like you have practice in your own orgasm when you are in your mm-hmm. own body when you're masturbating try some of those things and mm-hmm. then and she'll let you know hopefully she'll be empowered to let you know whether or not that's working mm-hmm. yeah totally and speaking of the information gap i do feel like women are trained on how to stimulate the penis like they yeah. are expected to be a good performer and they're, mm-hmm. they are trained to do that. Not that men don't have expectations set on them, but it's mostly expectations for the vagina, like mm-hmm. intercourse as well as fingering the vagina. And mm-hmm. there's, there's so little information about their kind of like training young men on how to stimulate the clitoris. Yes, yes. And to your point, oh, I'm thinking again about high school and all the fingering experiences and how terrible they were. Fingering is this huge thing in high school. It's wild. 
And it was just like, right, like this, this, like, you can't see what I'm doing, but this gesture of just like madly and very quickly jabbing. That's the word. Jabbing is what you're doing. Jabbing and being like, are we good? Did that work? Are you, are you there? (laughs) Like I'm in pain now, actually. That's what happened. And not that, not that people don't enjoy fingering or vaginal penetration doesn't feel good, but, but it's, you know, taught as sort of like the only thing. Yes, Mm. yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm now thinking this actually, even though we're right now, we're very much talking about straight sex with cis people and Mm -hmm. heteronormative relationships, right? That's kind of what, what we're talking about. But I also can see how that can somehow resonate into other experiences where this myth that lesbian sex isn't real sex is a thing, right? right? Oh, you know, um, it shows up in places like when people are, uh, couples are opening up, they're like, it's okay if we have another woman because that doesn't really count as sex. Right. You know, or it's okay. It's like one penis policy is something that comes up a lot with people who are like Mm -hmm. thinking about opening up their relationship because they don't think women having sex doesn't count. I think it also penetrates probably, excuse the pun, penetrates, whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Also into gay male experiences that there has to be penetration and like Mm -hmm. there has to be anal sex and that's something that that if they're not, then it's it's not real sex. So I think this idea that is rooted in the heterosexual experience actually kind of spreads to all sexual experiences. Totally. And when women have sex with other women, their orgasm rates are similar to men's across sexual orientations. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the reasons why that is, is because they're free from these heteronormative expectations that define what sex is supposed to look like. So when you're, when you're freed from those sexual scripts, you're able to organize a sexuality that works for everyone involved. And so I feel like heterosexual couples can learn a lot from queer relationships where, for example, in lesbian relationships, a turn-taking culture that often happens Mm -hmm. where I'll please you and and then you please me. So heterosexual couples, yeah, I think think can learn a lot from other relationship structures. Mm -hmm. And just to note too how insidious the socialization is, because I've, you know, exclusively now have been with women for about a decade now. And in the beginning, definitely was still watching my curves and tucking in the, the stomach mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Re- replicating the same things till, t- until at some point, you know, my now wife was like, what, what are you doing? Like, right. what, what is this thing that you're doing right now? Like, isn't this, isn't this the move? Like doing my like, you know, butt out pose. Isn't this what I'm supposed to be doing? She's like, what, what's happening right now? What is that noise that you're making? Like, what, what are you doing? So that would be the case. Or if my partner wanted to, my female partner wanted to have sex and I didn't, there's still it felt like a sense of pressure, like, oh, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say no, because that was something that was socialized, you know, in, in my male relationships. I'm wondering if, is there, is there research around the myths about women's desire to have sex? Because, you know, we understand and know, right? Mm-hmm. Men want it. Men want it more. Men need it. That's a part of the mm-hmm. narrative, right? Mm-hmm. If they don't have an orgasm, like something will shut down in their body. The or men, explode. Right, exactly. Blue balls <laughs> will, will occur and their genitalia right. will like explode inside of their pants. That that To the point that even men need it to the degree that they cannot control themselves. Mm-hmm. That women around the world have to cover their body mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the very sight of their body will be too much for the mm-hmm. male desire to handle. So we have this one side where it's like men need it to this extreme degree And then this other side where I think the myth is women could take it or leave it. I'm glad you brought that up because there there's some research by Terry Conley about how there's 
an essential confound in any comparison of sex, any research on sex that's comparing men and women in the fact that women speaking in a cisgender, largely heterosexual lens, Mm -hmm. women are having a sexual experience that is inherently less desirable. So how can we possibly compare Mm -hmm. men's and women's desire when everything about women's socialization and sexual experiences makes sex less desirable for them? And I think the analogy that she uses in the paper is comparing a, an Italian meal at a fancy Italian restaurant to Chef Boyardee. So women are being <laughs> served Chef Boyardee. And then they're being asked, why don't you like this as much as mm-hmm. I do? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yes. So that. I think good. that's so, yeah, it's so good and so true. If it's not good, like, why would I want it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I do not want the jabbing. And so you're right. I could absolutely take or leave the jabbing or leave it mainly more than taking it. But you're right. right. If, if we had the option to have something that was pleasure based, that there would be more desire around it. That makes so much sense. Yes. And there is research that the more women expect an orgasm or the more women expect pleasure, those gender differences go away. Mm. Women have more desire when they expect more pleasure out of the encounter, which makes total sense. Yeah. Right. And the more you have it, the more you want it as well. So the more you want, Mm -hmm. the more you have it, the more it's good, the more you want it. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily that we don't want it. We're just not getting enough of the good stuff. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've had conversations on this podcast about the inequitable division of labor that happens in households, particularly mm-hmm. in, in heterosexual households and women historically taking on more of the burden of domestic duties and child care. And mm-hmm. so then at the end of the night, landing into bed, more exhausted, right. more right. on her mind, more distraction. And then the guy's like, let's do some stuff and is shocked and disappointed and has now created the, the myth of the headache, right? This the, the stereotype of women getting a headache because she is so tired and exhausted mm-hmm. again and things mm-hmm. in her mind that she does not want to have Chef Boyardee. Again, right. how how all of these gender roles and norms, they all intersect. They all create all of these outcomes in combination with each other. Yeah. I'm wondering then, what is it can we do to combat this? So as individuals in our relationships, but also collectively mm-hmm. in our society, a societal level, how can we address and level out the playing field between the genders when it comes to orgasms. How do we get your vision of orgasm equality for all? Yes. How do we get there? I'm so glad you asked. We know that according to research, number one thing is clitoral stimulation, right? More clitoral stimulation is key. Most orgasm problems come from not enough or not the right kind of clitoral stimulation. Relatedly, greater variety of sexual activities and greater length of the sexual encounter, which does not mean longer intercourse or lasting longer, but longer encounters from start to finish. So all of that means more oral sex, more manual stimulation or stimulation with hands, more use of vibrators, right? A turn-taking culture. I'll make you feel good. Then you make me feel good. Basically incorporating and prioritizing those acts that are most likely to make your partner orgasm. 
The other big key is sexual communication. Mm -hmm. You won't know what acts are most likely to make your partner orgasm unless you talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. So talking to your partner to see what feels best for them, how they can guide you. And this can be larger talks about desires that happen outside of the bedroom, but can also be smaller cues within an encounter to signal and and encourage your partner um, about what you like. And then we've talked about the entitlement gap. So all partners need to feel entitled to experience orgasm. And so men in this case can indicate to their partner that their pleasure is a priority to them in the relationship, whether that's a casual sex fling or whether that is a long-term marriage that has been going on for decades. And then finally, just as I've said before, just rejecting the sexual scripts that tell us how a sexual encounter is supposed to go and how sex is supposed to look and instead working with your partner to find whatever works for your relationship. I love that. that. Yeah. I love that list. I do want to make a quick caveat that there is research on people, particularly cis men pressuring or coercing their partners to orgasm. So Obviously, that's not okay. So make sure that while you're actively prioritizing your partner's pleasure, you're not placing a pressure on your partner to have an orgasm, that you're listening and responding to what they want. Also, that pleasure doesn't mean orgasm. I think that's the right. other thing that we need to like. Pleasure is a much bigger thing that orgasm is a part of. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that somebody didn't have pleasure just because they didn't have an orgasm. Maybe decoupling that idea and yes. thinking about pleasure is more of like this fluid. I mean, I'm right now imagine like this bubble that you hang out in with orgasm being one of the elements that's floating within that bubble. And focusing Absolutely. on pleasure doesn't mean focusing on orgasm. It means focusing that makes sure everyone's having fun, whatever that fun looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And there is this expectation that orgasm should be the ultimate goal. And I, and I don't think that's, you know, a productive mindset to have. So it's, it's important to, to not prioritize orgasm alone, but orgasm is a useful tool for us to assess like this difference in pleasure that exists and for us to quantify it in some way that we can say like, Hey, look, there's a problem here and we should be addressing this problem. And I also do think orgasm is important in a sense as well, because women come not to expect it. So we do want to encourage that it is something that can be expected. Mm -hmm. I also think just culturally changing the idea of what like right now, for men, it's like number of people, for especially younger men, number of women they've had sex with is is like the the thing they they talk about. And I think changing that narrative and talking about how how much pleasure were you able to mm-hmm. provide, and and that being a, a point of pride rather than just like yeah. you went you like how many people you've had sex with, but like what are, like what are your what are your skills? Mm-hmm. You know, like how mm-hmm. are you able to? Find your way around the clitoris. Are you able to have a conversation mm-hmm. with your with your partner, even on a on a hookup um, situation? Yes. I think really putting value in those skills and putting that conversation out there, when that dialogue out there, is also I think might help towards cultural change. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And for women to stop faking it, we need to yes. stop pretending because yes. then they think that they're it's good and it yes. is not. Yes, Just don't fake it. <laughs> Dr. Lori Mintz also said, faking an orgasm teaches your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. Mm. 
Exactly. Yes. Oh, fake it, friends. Oh, <laughs> so many good sound bites in this conversation. So many things that I feel like need to be turned into like memes and people right. need to print out and like put around their walls. Absolutely. Fantastic. I actually have a poster on my wall that says stop faking orgasms. Yes. Oh, love it. Can you share yes. a picture with us and we can put it in? We can yes. put it in like Yes, I should I should tag the artist as well. So I should I should get the, yes, the image please. from her website yeah. and then share it with you. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. That's Don't fantastic. Nice. Before we wrap with you, is there anything else that you want to make sure to cover or say that we haven't yet? I think I had one more thing on the last question. Yeah. So talking about what we can do to address the orgasm gap. Mm -hmm. You also asked about society. And so Mm -hmm. I think societally speaking, I think we need a broader culture shift in which, you know, we need to value and expect women's orgasm and women's pleasure just as much as men's right now. Sex is synonymous with men's orgasm. Men's orgasm is the expected result of sex and women's orgasm is seen as a bonus. So Mm -hmm. I think heterosexual sex needs to be, completely reorganized to be about mutual pleasure in whatever form that takes, which means taking away this primary focus on intercourse alone. And I think women can do that by advocating for themselves. Men can do that by prioritizing their partner's pleasure. And we all can do that just by continuing to have these conversations. Here, here. This is fantastic. Here, Amazing. Yes. Before we wrap, though, we do want to ask you a few questions just to get to know you a little bit Mm -hmm. and have our listeners get to know you. And so our first question to you is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about love, sex or relationships? Not specifically to my younger self alone, but I think I would tell young women everywhere that their pleasure matters and they are entitled to sexual and romantic relationships that are fulfilling to them where they are truly valued and respected. And also I would tell them that there is nothing wrong with you if you do not orgasm from your vagina. Yes. I think a lot of young women need to hear that. And all people with vulvas need to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm so glad you said this on our show. We'll we'll, (laughs) we'll send it out wide. um, And hopefully it'll it'll fall on, on, on the right ears. Okay. How do you challenge the status quo? I challenge the status quo by questioning everything about how heterosexual sex is currently organized. Yeah, there needs to be a lot of questioning. So you're 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 doing good work. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> because you. the impact of that, to your point, Effie, earlier is the impact of that goes beyond more broadly than heterosexual right. sex because mm-hmm. you know our society is, is is based on that framework. So all the systems are intertwined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what are you curious about lately? I am curious about the factors that influence women's decisions to pursue or not pursue orgasm in their sexual encounters. Mm-hmm. That's a new line of research that I've been working on lately that I'm I'm very excited about. Yeah. That's super We'd love to talk to you more about that. Yeah, come back. Mm-hmm. Come back when you know when you have answers, come back <laughs> yeah, and tell us. Exactly right. Why is that happening? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this has been really great. Thank you so much, Grace. We appreciate you and your time and your work. Thank you. I'm so happy um, to share this information on a platform that has a mission that I feel so strongly about. Beautiful. Thank Thank you. you. If you want to learn more about Grace Wetzel, 
You can visit her website, gracewetzel.com, and find her on Instagram at orgasm underscore equality underscore, and on Twitter at grace underscore Wetzel. If you want to weigh in on this topic, share if the research reflects your experience, or just want to connect with other Foxy listeners, head to Facebook and join our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. If you enjoyed this topic and want to hear more episodes like this, sign up for our newsletter. Every week, we send out an email with our newest episode, along with related episodes that we think that you'll enjoy. And at the end of the month, we share a digest with amazing YouTube videos, books, articles, Instagram reels, TikToks, blog posts, and episodes from other podcasts that we love. It is a beautifully packaged bundle of goodies that you can rely on at the end of each month. To sign up, go to wearecuriousfoxes.com backslash newsletter. If you found this or any of our episodes interesting, helpful, or even funny, please share our podcast with a friend. Quickly rate the show, leave a comment, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Spotify and Stitcher. This is only going to take a few seconds of your time, but it will have a big impact for us. Our beautifully colored website is filled with reading lists, blog posts, and past episodes that can help you indulge your curiosity around love, sex, and relationship. You should visit us at wearecuriousfoxes.com. If you want to support the show, join us on Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes, where you can find mini episodes, podcast extras that couldn't make it to the show, and over 50 videos from educator-led workshops. And finally, let us know that you're listening by sharing a comment, a story, or a question. You can email us or send us a voice memo to listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com, or you can record a question for the show by calling 646-450-9079. This episode is produced by Effie Blue and Jacqueline Misler, with help from Yamur Erkishe. Our editor is Nina Pollock, who masterfully closes the gap between potential and perfection. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Questions, I have you, I have the script, I have me. Yay, we're all here. <laughs> we're all here, everyone. Okay, good. You know what it is? I, I, I still want to laugh. I still have a laugh in me. So it's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's laugh. What do you want to laugh at? I don't know. I still have a laugh from before. And I was like trying to put the laugh away. I was like, laugh, no, let me hold you into yeah. the side. But no, I needed to get it out. With Dr. Justin Mullis. With Dr. Justin Mullis. Mullis. There's normally you can't say anything. I know. I was just, <laughs> I was actually so happy. I was like, it's not me this time. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.